maybe a week later, Don Imus, you know, the radio talk guy, called the Rutgers women's basketball team nappy-headed hoax. And that's how I went from being a general manager to the chief diversity officer. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive toward your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show their value, and lead with their brand towards your next career breakthrough. Now, it is March, and we are celebrating Women's History Month. You know, so many women have changed both my career and my life, and I am proud to showcase some of my favorite female voices from the Lead With Your brand podcast who continue to share their wisdom and move their industries forward. Go to leadwithyourbrand.com backslash women to listen to some amazing episodes featuring some of my friends, including celebrity chef and author Katie Chin, the former CEO of TuneIn, Juliet Morris, and the hilarious Jill Kargman, best-selling author and executive producer and star of the show Odd Mom out on Peacock. Now, every Tuesday in March, I'll be featuring an another amazing leader who just happens to be a woman. And on the podcast, they are going to share valuable insights that we can all use. Today, I am thrilled to welcome author and media mogul Paula Madison to the show. Now, I've known Paula for years, and I am so excited to have her on. But first, I want to talk about a woman that changed my life. Now, at the very beginning of March, I talked about my mom, Janine Patria. But as I look back, I need to give a huge shout out to her mom, my grandmother, Maxine Opperly. Now, my grandmother was this crazy firecracker. In fact, she had this, this fire engine red hair, kind of like Lucille Ball. And she was really a self-made woman who had so many passions in life, from horseback riding to a love of history of the American West. While my grandfather worked in the 30s and 40s at Universal Studios, my old stomping grounds, my grandmother leveraged her great talents in a career ranging from ghostwriting novels and film scripts to being a highly regarded psychic. But one of the things she is most and best known for was being Maxine the Story Lady at Knott's Berry Farm. Now, that was literally her brand. It was on postcards and brochures and ads for Knott's Berry Farm. In the early days of the world's what was really the first theme park, even predating Disneyland, she would tell stories of the Old West from her magic fan to guess who came to the Old West town at Knott's Berry Farm. 
and it was in theatrical productions, in story circles. You would see these pictures of her with crowds of people around her where she told stories of the American Old West. Now, here's the crazy thing. My grandmother was truly one of those women who was a jack of all trades. She literally did a million things, and she did a million things really well. But you know what I really learned from her at an early age was the power of being able to simply communicate your value and what you do and what you bring in a succinct manner. And that is a key element of the lead with your brand system. You see, I know that you can do a million things too. You are a jack of all trades. That's why you have already had an amazing career because you can do lots of things. But here's the deal. That isn't going to help you be known for anything. Quite simply, if you're trying to be something to everyone, you're really nothing to no one. Remember, in your career, are you a commodity? Kind of, you can do anything just like everybody else can do anything? Or are you a super premium brand like Starbucks that's really known for something specific? You've got to refine your brand story and message in a way that's easy for your career audience to consume. Remember, my grandmother, Maxine, she did tons of things, but quite simply, she was known as the story lady. Now, that story lady brand really worked for her because it was able to show up in everything she did and communicate the value that she was bringing. It was a story whether she was ghostwriting for a film, because remember back then, women weren't really screenwriters. It was a story whether she was performing at a theme park. It was even a story if she was reading your palm and telling you the future. So now I want you to think for yourself, what is that one thing that you do? And more importantly, what is that value that you bring? What are those strings that connect the dots between all of those great talents and passions that you have that can be refined into a simple brand statement? I am thrilled to have our guest on today's show. It is Paula Williams-Madison, who is the chairman and CEO of Madison Media Management and 88 Madison Media Works. Now, I met Paula way back when I was working at NBC Universal, where she had a storied career of over 22 years. She retired from NBC Universal in 2011 as the executive vice president of diversity and a vice president of the General Electric company that was the parent of NBC Universal. Now she's been named by Black Enterprise Magazine as one of the 75 most powerful African Americans in corporate America, and she's even been included on the Hollywood Reporter's Power 100 list. She's been honored by tons of organizations including the East West Players and AARP. And she is the author and executive producer of the book and documentary, Finding Samuel Lowe, which tells of her successful search to locate her Chinese grandfather's descendants in China. We'll be back in just a few moments with Paula Madison. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. 
And we're back, and I am thrilled because I have one of my favorite women. In fact, someone that I consider to be a Wonder Woman, and it is Paula Williams-Madison. Paula, how are you? Well, I'm a little afraid now that I've been uh, introduced as such, but I'm I'm good. Considering all that's going on in the world, I'm, I'm doing uh, really well. How are you, Jason? I am spectacular, especially because we are chatting. Now, Paula, I have wanted to get you on this, this show since we launched because you have had such, you know, a dynamic career being in television, being a journalist, running a corporate diversity function, an author, all of these amazing things. So I'm interested to know when you meet people, how do you introduce yourself? You know, I have a, I have a long bio, and then I have a very truncated bio. And the the part that's the most difficult is when at a an event and being introduced. And if I don't intercept in advance the length of the introduction, it can get embarrassingly long. So <laughs> so I actually have been known to at, at you know galas stage a thousand people sitting there. The introduction is going on and on, and I will just walk onto the stage and I'll say, okay, that's enough. (laughs) That's good. Nobody cares about all of that. (laughs) So in terms of where you're at in your career, how do you explain to people what you do? So the the really good thing, Jason, and and, and let this be a goal. Everyone should make this a goal. What I do is what I want. How's that? Ooh. I've reached I've reached a point is as you know I retired from working for someone I think it was it's now um, eleven years yeah yeah I think it's now eleven years and um, immediately after I started searching for my Chinese grandfather's family in China right so so that that spawned a documentary which then led to a book the easiest way to describe myself is what I used to do. Right. So depending upon the, the crowd that I'm in, I'll say, well, I used to be an executive at NBC Universal. I used to be vice president of the Los Angeles Police Commission. I used to own a basketball team called the Los Angeles Sparks, which I sold to Magic Johnson. I'm an author, a filmmaker, a documentarian, and now I'm executive producing uh, some TV series. So I will anticipate. So of all of those, Paula, what is what is the thing that you're proudest of? How's that? Mm, absolutely. As I take over your show, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are free to take over. <laughs> no. So the, truly, the thing that I'm proudest of is that, you know, I'm a mother and a grandmother and a wife. And those things to me, I'm the proudest of because those actually are the well, I, I, I don't want to call them the most difficult, but they are the most meaningful to me. So, Paula, let's talk a little bit about your career. When you think about all of all of your years in, in the business, what have been a couple of the career breakthrough moments for you that really stand out to you? So at first I was a newspaper journalist, and I got into journalism really because – one of my majors in college was history. And I always thought that journalism should be a daily history book. Mm-hmm. And it should be a culled and thought about daily account of what mattered that day. Mm-hmm. 
So I was in college and uh, I was going to get a, a doctorate in educational administration until I did my student teaching. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I can't, I can't, I can't with these kids. Nope. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I don't have the patience for that. So, and, 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 and I applaud teachers, by the way. So I, um, a friend of mine convinced me to go to journalism school. So I went to the Newhouse School at Syracuse University and I joined a newspaper in Syracuse, New York. Where is Syracuse, New York? Central New York. It's a place that has something called Lake Effect Snow. And Lake Effect Snow in that time, in that era, in the mid to late 70s, could produce over 210 inches of snow annually. And I'm a person (laughs) who I have that S-A-D-D, that seasonal F- the, uh, effectiveness I, disorder. Right, right. Like today, it's a little overcast. I can actually get very sad and miserable because I'm yeah. not seeing sun, right? And um, so I hated living there. But in any case, that's where my journalism career began in newspapers. And I continued. And then at some point, I moved five years later, I think, I moved to Texas and uh, was working as, in newspapers there. And then I, I crossed over in TV in Texas at a TV station, WFAA-TV. And at that point, I who had never worked in television before, the general manager of the TV station said to me, you know, someday you're going to be news director. And I was like, wait, I'm just, I, don't, I, I just get, what do you mean? He said, yep, I can see it. Someday you're going to be news director in New York. Wow. Right. And I thought, what is this guy talking about? And he was a wonderful man who, he died maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years later, broke my heart when that happened. But as you know, eventually after working around a number of places, I I did become news director at um, the NBC owned and operated station in New York. Breakthrough for for me was, it, it, it fascinated me in my career, how things that I would do, that I was the first black fill in the blank. And I was the first black fill in that blank. And then people would ask me, how does it feel to be the first black fill in the blank? And, and, and my reply would be, well, I, I don't know. Cause I, I've only ever been me. <laughs> right. And yeah. So, so I, I, and I didn't make myself the first, right. Somebody hired me and that made me the first. So I, I will tell you that I never thought, Ooh, I hope I can be the first black you know, fill in the blank, because I I don't know that that's how people go through their careers. That's certainly not how I went through my career. Moments for me were never moments where I said, oh, I'm going to be the first fill in the blank. The moments for me were understanding what the next job for me was. What's the next role? So if I had this job right now, I was interested in understanding what this one led to and what more do I need to, 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 to get in terms of skills or training or whatever in order to get that next job. Now, Paula, talk to me a little bit about your experiences growing up, because I know those defining moments really shape our brand. What was it like for young Paula? My, my parents uh, immigrated to the United States from Jamaica. My grandfather was Chinese, went from China to Jamaica, uh, and my mother was born to him and an African-Jamaican woman. My father was was African-Jamaican. So 
doing the math, three quarters African Jamaican, one quarter Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, is that as the child of immigrants, right? As many immigrant children know, you know, you're frequently raised to fulfill your parents' dreams, right? Mm-hmm. You are expected to fulfill your parents' mm-hmm. dreams. So while my mother and my father didn't have a dream of uh, their daughter Paula being the first fill in the blank. My mother was absolutely focused on her children growing up to be millionaires because my mother growing up in Jamaica, as she said to us when we were children, if the Carnegie's can do it and the Rockefellers can do it, then you can do it. And it was like, it was like, okay, mom. And we didn't have other relatives around to tell us, Hey, you, you know, your mother's whack. I mean, (laughs) like that doesn't just happen. (laughs) I mean, we didn't have other relatives. So so for my mother, you know, Chinese-looking woman, because um, she didn't look, you know, she didn't look mixed race. Her mother looked Chinese. And there she is with three black kids in Harlem, right? So it's like uh, we were always different, but we really were only different when our mother showed up. When our mother mm-hmm. was inside, we were just more kids, you know, black. we were just black kids playing on the yeah, block. just running but around. When, Right, but when she showed up, everything was like, wait, what, what, wait, what's going on? Wait, who's that? And, you know, consequently, it led to me having a very early awareness of race, right, and cultural differences. Because in my neighborhood, which was all black, you know, my, my, my experience was that, like I said, we were just kids until our mother showed up. And then depending upon what word they used to describe her. And by they, I mean, it was black kids, you know, who's uh, literally one, one, when I was eight, one fellow eight-year-old said, "Um, who's that? And I said, that's my mom. And she said, no, it's not. So, you know, of course now my, 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 I'm sort of, um, I can be aggressive. I'll put it that way. (laughs) So, so, so my, I could feel my, my fist starting to ball. Right. And I said, it's my mom. She said, no, it's not. And that made me angry. And I said, that's my mom. And she said, that starts with a C word, a derogatory term for Chinese. Mm-hmm. She said, that is not your mother. And I punched her in the face and knocked her down. Well, mm. I can tell you that my mother was black and Chinese. My mother looked Chinese. She spoke with a heavy Jamaican accent but she conducted herself as a black person, mm. right? Meaning that the the Confucianism, bend with the wind, you know, don't make a don't don't make a noise. Just that was not our lifestyle. My mother yeah. challenged everybody and dared them, mm-hmm. and that's how we we were raised to not bite our tongues and to fight. Yeah, because because where I grew up, fighting was nece- really was necessary. So after I punched this girl and knocked her down and dared her to say it again, and she didn't. And I walked over to her, walked over to my mother, who was standing on the stoop maybe 100 feet away looking at us. And she said, what was that? And I said, she called you a the, the slur. So I punched her. And my mother said, okay, come inside, eat lunch. <laughs> so talk to me about moving from being a, a really big general market television station manager into being the first chief diversity officer for a company. Now, see that. See, I I didn't see that as much of a transition. 
mm. right? I am a per. I, I, I have I have worked in so many roles, all of which I found stimulating, mm-hmm. and by the time they kind of weren't stimulating. I, I mean, I don't know that I that I was. I was already moved on to the next job. You understand? Yeah. So I'm doing this job and I'm, I'm as innovative as I can be. And I'm known for being a problem solver and, uh, you know, and I'm strategic and analytical and I can do this and this and this. And then it's like, oh, so I can do that. Now, that transition was I intended to retire early. I was going to retire early because I had made up in my mind years before that I was going to complete this missing family link, find my my mother's father who had left Jamaica and returned to China when she was three years old and she never saw him again. So at the point where I was asked to take on that role, I was actually going to retire from working for someone else Mm -hmm. and I was going to run the Los Angeles Sparks, the team that my family owned. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be in my own time so I could explore and research and find the missing family in China. One day I was the general manager of the TV station. Jeff Zucker, who was the CEO, he called me in and asked me if I would consider becoming chief diversity officer. And I said no. And he said, well, I mean, you're right now like you're co-chairing the diversity council. I said, I know, but. You know, that's like I'm, I'm Jamaican. We have 50 jobs. I, you know, I'm, I'm OK with doing that. But 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 taking on that role is is a job that puts me in a position of being a consultant. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to spend all my time trying to advise these people to do things. And so that was that. And then probably two weeks later, maybe a week later, Don Imus, you know, the radio talk guy mm-hmm. called the Rutgers women's basketball team, nappy headed hoes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I went from being a general manager to the chief diversity officer, because instead of retiring early, I went back to Jeff Zucker and said, after, I think at that point I'd been in the company, maybe 18 years. Yeah. I said, if this is where we are, this is where we find ourselves. And we have, this much more to go. I'm going to take this job provided. And here, here were the provisions. This company says goodbye to Don Imus and that the position you're referring to reports to you and only you, the CEO, no dotted line to HR, no dotted line to legal. Nope. I only report to the CEO. And at the time, our uh, parent company was General Electric. And I said, and I would like for it to be a GE company officer job. It has a large enough portfolio. It's an enterprise-wide job. It should be a company officer. And the response was, well, what do I say when you know people say, well, Don, I misapologized. I mean, Why do we have to say goodbye? And I said, well, thank God we live in the United States of America. People have freedom of speech and right to work situations where person violates company policy. You can say goodbye. That's Mm -hmm. one. Two, he said, yeah, the position would report only to me. Great. And three, 
well, I don't make that decision. It's Jeff Immelt, who was the chairman of GE, who yeah. would make that decision. And I said, okay. He said, so, so that's not my decision. I said, okay, well, then go ask him. <laughs> I mean, okay, it's not your decision. I asked the question. Go, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Just go find the answer. So I think the next day he, you know, we, and then, of course, we were struggling with the whole Don Imus stuff. And by struggling, I mean, it I mean, was ugly, right? It was. It I mean, was I remember ugly. this. It was very ugly. And, and, and inside the building, inside 30 Rock, it was like gut wrenching. People were so upset. So let's say that over the next few days, here's what played out. We said goodbye to Don Imus. And I'm not even suggesting that it was because of what I that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I, I put on the table mm-hmm. that I would not want to work for a company. I would not want to continue working for a company where someone could freely and comfortably make such a statement about teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. And and still be employed there. So that there was that the 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 issue about it reporting directly to him. Great. Again, my concern about being perceived by other division heads as hey, well, she's just coming to give some advice. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm showing up because we're going to work through the the weaknesses in the company insofar as diversity and inclusion are concerned, and we're going to address them. And then uh, came back and said, well, you know, I talked to Jeff Immelt, and um, he said he, he can present it to the board at the, I think it was the fall board meeting. So let's pretend now that this is probably May, June, somewhere like that. Yeah. At the fall board meeting. And, um, you know, so so then one would expect that, you know, the board would say yes and they'd vote you in. And I said, okay. He said, so, so okay. I said, no. I said, we'll wait. Wait, wait until the board votes and makes me a company officer and then I'll do it. And he was like, what? I said, no, no, no. I'm... <laughs> Why would I do that? You know, I mean, historically, you know, black people, right? We have all the credentials first before we get the job. Yeah. Historically, white males have some of the credentials and are allowed to grow into that role. These are not the musings of Paula. These are facts, yeah, right? Absolutely. And and I was like, no, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to start the job. No, th- that's one of those things like, well, here, just start doing the job and we'll give you the raise in three months. Well, why would I do that? Yeah. What, is that, because, you know, is that how you, you, excuse me, Mr. S- is that how you were paid? I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? Because I'm so anxious to get approval and be the first fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. As I said, my aspirations were never to be the first fill in the blank. My aspirations were to continue to reach the career path that I wanted to be on. Mm -hmm. And then I would make friends with somebody in HR. And here's how I always loved HR. I'd make friends with somebody in HR and try to learn whether, you know, of my peers, was I among the highest paid? Because if I wasn't among the highest paid, I would leave. 
That was always my plan. Well, yeah. why would I? Well, again, why would I stay? Right, if I have an expectation that I'm going to be among, remember who I yeah. was raised by, right? <laughs> remember all of that. This, this we, I need not, to go to her school. This is not. Uh, I was in, I was on a, a, a Zoom yesterday where people were talking about imposter syndrome. And I said, you know, I'd never heard of that phrase until about two and a half years ago, two and a half, maybe three years ago. And they said, well, you know, what do you think of it? I said, I've never had it. And they're like, really? I said, no. And I, and I, and I'm, I don't know whether I should be embarrassed to say I've never had it, because what does that suggest? But I've never had that. And I've never had that because what I know is that everybody doesn't come fully equipped with everything. So... Maybe that that's something, there are elements that I'm just not going to learn or know, but maybe if those are things that I need to know, I'll go learn them, right? But that doesn't mean I can't have the job. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I can't, I mean, look at my resume and look at all the (laughs) stuff that I've done and all the first, it's like impossible that I'm afraid that I don't really belong here. Why would I think that? Yeah. Right? Now, what I do recognize is especially being African-American, being Jamaican-American, being a person of the African diaspora, being black, is that there is a systemic, institutionalized, right, ingrained in this country where black people have been told you're not. They've been treated as though you're not. It's been legislated. It's bit, so, so it stands to reason that some people will have had, unfortunately, they will have internalized that, right? But like I said, they didn't grow up with my mother. So Paula, tell me, how would you describe your brand as a leader and executive? I would describe it as I am pretty confident. I am a person who I refuse to take credit for something that someone else developed, came up with, whatever. Mm -hmm. I see myself as the kind of leader who grows leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, And the value that I have in that, 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 the, the joy that I took from that and the benefit that I got from that is that I always tried to surround myself with people who were better at things that I was, right? Yeah. So that we all, you know, this sort of symbiosis, this we complemented each other, right? I don't need three of us to be excellent in the same exact thing if we're a team or a small yeah. team. What I need for us to do is to, you know, complement. There's some yin and yang aspect to it for, for certain, but 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 overwhelmingly what I would say to you is that I see myself as the kind of leader who my leaders would come to to take and the next class of leaders from me. Mm. And I would applaud, right? Yeah. I would be very grateful for that, that my team would go out into the rest of the company. Absolutely. And, you know, your story about 
how you help other people. And certainly you have given me so much help in, in my career when we worked at NBC Universal is this immense network that you have. People come to me all of the time and they're like, how do, how do I grow my network? I- I'm like, you are the queen of that. Like I'm looking at our <laughs> vice president today and I'm like, I yeah. know who Kamala is because, you know, 15 years ago yeah. you were advocating for, for yeah. Kamala when she was running for AG, right? State Just in the state, right. in, in the state of California. What are your tips for, for having a network, but then really cultivating it? I may have the, 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 what used to be called the Rolodex, right? Or my contacts. I, I have, thousands and thousands of people in my contacts, right? I have a small group of about 15 best friends. I'm not that girl who has one best friend. I don't know how to have one best friend, (laughs) but, but, but I have about 15 best friends, you know, in, in the category of ride or die, right? These are my ride or dies. And then I, when I meet people and they're seeking information, I try to give the information Right. But here's how I manage it. Someone will come to me and say, you know, Paula, Miss Paula, Miss Madison, you know, um, could you be my mentor? And I say, I'm sorry, but I can't. Mm. I can't. But what I can do is I can put you with somebody who I mentored. Yeah, that's the that's the cost. Of being mentored by me, that's the cost of getting advice from me in the spirit of paying it forward, right? So, so, so I have an amazing body of people who I value and who I think are caring and really, really smart and also network. And I, I, if, if people come to me, I will put them with somebody provided you convince me you're not a knucklehead. Now, if you're a knucklehead, you gotta go, you gotta go. You gotta go find Table somebody stakes, else. Table stakes, right? Exactly. You're like, no, I'm not the one. Go find somebody else. For me, the key to 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 networking is to be as as clear, as transparent, as upfront and honest as you can be, right up front. Because the management of expectations is a is an important is an important part of networking. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm in front of more than thousands of people. I I can't, I can't um, talk to all of you and all of you think you're going to be able to reach. I I don't sleep now, but I really would never sleep. But, (laughs) but, but I'm saying that if people believe that you are listening to them and you're trying to assist them, the goal is to get them help right? Get them an answer. Even if I'm not the help and even if I'm not the answer, my goal is to connect you so that what you're doing is getting satisfaction out of the moments that we spend together. Absolutely. And I know we're almost out of time. So a couple really quick fire questions. If you were a type of car, what type of car would Paula Madison be? Well, I'd be a Tesla, which is what I have. Um, It's efficient. It's sleek. It's technologically superior, and it's beautiful. Mm. Those are all things that I am. Yes. And (laughs) finally, (laughs) there's that confidence piece. There it is. Um, (laughs) Paula, what would be the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Um, 
Wow, the best career advice. Continuously research. Mm. Keep keep researching. Keep researching to find out what else there is, right? You might find that as impossible as it seems that the intersection between what you're doing now and what you might be doing is really, really right there. That's why I think I've been able to have so many careers in one career, right? What's my one career? My mother put me on the path to becoming wealthy, right? I learned how to be a journalist and a communicator, how to be a, um, a manager, an executive, an entrepreneur, an investor, all because she put in my head, well, if the Carnegie's can do it and the Rockefellers can do it, of course you can do it. Yeah, I would say keep researching and don't, um, don't count yourself out. Go for it. I have a strategy. You want to hear my strategy? Absolutely. Okay, my strategy is quarterly, I would go to my immediate supervisor and ask, how am I doing? Right? Hey, you got five minutes? And they'd say, sure, what's up? And I say, listen, I just want a little feedback. Just, you know, how, how am I doing? And sometimes that would take people aback because they're not used to someone saying, hey, yeah. give me a grade right here. And how you receive it will determine whether you can have that conversation again. So I'm always open to telling me how to improve. By the next quarter, I'd say, so last time we talked, um, you told me X, Y, and Z, and I've been doing this and this and this. Have you noticed whether I've gotten any better or not? And invariably, we're like, yeah, you know, you have gotten better. And, and, you know, let me make a suggestion about something else you could do. Okay, great. Third quarter, hey, you got five minutes? Now they're welcoming the five minutes. It's not painful for them. I'm not going, but how could you say that? That's not fair, right? So fourth quarter, when I have my annual performance review, which is usually about 45 minutes, right? Right. Yeah. Your performance review is spent looking at the year that we just completed. My performance review is spent. So what do you see as the next role for me? Right. Wow. And now we are together strategizing about my career. If you believe you're worth it, right, and you believe that the person who is supervising you believes you are necessary to success, that's how you become an executive who's on the rise. Absolutely. Well, Paula Madison, thank you so much for taking us to the school of Paula Madison. So many great tips. It was amazing to talk to you and connect. It was amazing to talk to you and connect to Jason. And next time, don't say, well, the last when we talked last time, when we worked together, you know, you can reach out to a sister. You can contact me. I'm around. <laughs> Holla. I will. And, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. 
Wow, what an amazing conversation with Paula Madison. I could talk to Paula for hours because she is so inspiring. But the thing that really stood out to me about what Paula had to say... And in fact, really what she demonstrated was the power of not only knowing and defining your brand, but being able to stand up for your brand. Quite simply, you've got to not only know your value, but you've got to show and demand your value. When she talked about that story and being able to walk away from a role if she wasn't going to get not only what she wanted, but more importantly, what she deserved, that said that she was standing up for her brand. Because remember, your brand is as much about what you choose not to do as what you do. And if you choose to do things that are below par for your brand, then you are simply redefining your brand. Well, we've had an amazing conversation and an amazing celebration of Women's History Month. To hear more from amazing voices who just happen to be women, make sure that you visit leadwithyourbrand.com backslash women to hear from amazing leaders. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you did, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button, and make sure that you're following me on social media at Jason Patria. I'm on all platforms, and make sure you check me out on LinkedIn, where I share tons of lead with your brand tips. Now remember, in your career, don't be a commodity like coffee, be a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.